In my family, I am uh, the youngest. Any, any young, youngest in the family in, in the room here? You're the babies in the family? All right. Uh, I have an older brother who's much older than I am, uh, 12 years older than I am to be exact, and his name is Kurt, and basically I, I didn't get a, a chance to really get to know him much uh, as a kid because he was so much older than me. He ended up joining the Air Force and leaving home as soon as he turned 18, and he's been pretty much in South Carolina his entire adult life. I have another younger or older sister, her name's Kim. And uh, she is about five to seven years older than me. I actually, I, I actually don't know. Uh, she's just older than me. That's just how I always known her to be. And uh, if you could describe my sister and myself in two categories, here's how I would describe it. She would have been de described as the sinner. She was a rebel child. All right. She was always uh, having parties. She was always uh, lots of boyfriends. She was always drinking. She was smoking at an early age. And because, of course, because I'm the youngest child, I was the baby, I would consider myself the saint growing up, right? At least in my eyes, I, to be honest, like, I, I got into some things, and I'll talk about some of the things I got into even in uh, my high school days, but for the most part, I was like the golden child. I was never grounded. Not one time was I grounded by my family, and I can't remember a weekend that went by that my sister wasn't grounded. So it kind of describes our relationship just a little bit. And so here we are, uh, my parents, for whatever reason, they must not have cared for me or loved me that much. They left me alone with my sister for a weekend, all right? And, and we're here, and they went out of town. And my sister decides that she was, just like every weekend, was going to throw a party at her house. And I was, even though I was a saint, I was also a very little annoying brother, all right? Uh, it was my goal to make my sister just, I think, hate me in the beginning. Like, I just was always nagging her when, when her friends were over in a party. Like, I was always in the middle of it, trying to get attention. Uh, that's how my son Harvey is right now. Like, I can see a lot of me and my son Harvey. Like, he is the center of attention, he, and he gets that from me. And, and there was this particular party. They were just excluding me. They were excluding me from the party for whatever reason. They didn't want a 10-year-old around, all right, while they were doing all their, their adult stuff, right? They're excluding me, and so I was like, I'm, I'm going to get my sister in trouble. And so what I did is, uh, at the time, I was a big fan of Home Alone. Any Home Alone fans out there, especially during the Christmas season? Uh, Kevin McAllister, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. He had what was called a talk boy. Uh, looks like this. Anybody, anybody know what those are? Seen those before? Okay. It's aging me a little bit. Um, I had one of those. And in this particular party, I got my talk boy out. And I was going to get my sister in trouble, so I started recording her party. I got everything. Like, I was just putting it there, and you could just record, and I couldn't wait till the next day when my mom got home. I remember when she got home, I went into her room, and I said, Mom, you got to listen to this. You were gone, and, and Kim had a party last night. <laughs> and I played it for her. She's listening, and she stops it, and then she, she hits rewind and hits play again. And she listens to this clip again. She stops it. She hits uh, rewind again, and she, she hits play. And this time, I caught it. I was like, what is she doing? I heard my voice, my little squeaky 10-year-old voice in the background saying a word I probably should not have been saying as a 10-year-old. Here I am trying to get my, my sister, who's the sinner, in trouble. I was the righteous one. I was the saint, and my mom heard me. 
cussing as a 10-year-old, a word that I should not be saying even today. And I got in a lot of trouble. I don't know if you can relate to any of that. Today, what I want to talk about, the, the title of this sermon is simply called The Sinner and the Saint. And we're going to be looking through a, a long scripture passage here in just a little bit. An exchange of two people who really bring out these two titles, the sinner and the saint. And I want you, as we, we read through it, you're going to see it right here on the screen behind me in just a little bit. I want you to see who you identify with. And by the end of the sermon, you may know. Maybe as you're reading it, you may feel it. So let's get into Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. It's a long one, so just bear with me. It's a good story. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. This righteous man. I'm going to have Jesus over to my house for dinner. So Jesus went to his home. He sat down and to eat. When a certain immoral woman, all right, how about that title for somebody? So the sinner, the immoral woman from the city heard that he was eating there. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him, Jesus, at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. She wiped them with her hair. She kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them, this really expensive perfume. And when the, the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, check this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if this man was who he said he was, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Okay, so this righteous man who is the saint is saying, hey, there's this immoral woman. Does Jesus know what she's done? She is a sinner. But then, listen, then Jesus answered his thoughts. And we're going to get back to that a little bit later. That's an interesting line in Scripture. Simon, calls him by name, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Calls him teacher still. So first he questions Jesus, says, is he really a prophet? And now he's referring to him as a teacher. He replied, Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling all of their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one whom had canceled the larger debt. And that's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, there's power in this interaction. Listen, he's, he's looking at the woman. So just get your mind in this, in this story. He's looking at the woman, but he's talking to Simon. And he says, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, the home you invited me to, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with a rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many. Jesus declares to the whole house, everybody at this dinner, he says, listen, this immoral woman, her sins are many, but they have been forgiven. She has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And here's the last part. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man? Who does this guy think he is? He goes around to forgive sins. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. 
go in peace. There, there is just so much to unpack, uh, even in a short message such as this, but I want to look at this interaction. And I want you to think about, I mean, what side of the coin do you fall on? Do you fall in on the, the side of, hey, you're, you're just kind of like the immoral woman. You have some sin in your life, but she went to the right place. Or are you feeling like, hey, you came to this room, man, I feel good. My life's not really out of balance much. I'm not as bad as, as she is. I'm not as bad as... I've seen their, their Instagram, I, I've seen their Snapchat, like, I got their story last week, and I'm not doing that. Like, where do you find yourself? The first thing we need to do, there's going to be three things I want us to really discover tonight. And the first place I want to start, when you have a, a skeleton in your closet, the first thing you need to do is, is check it. You need to check your closet. You need to take inventory of your heart. You need to check to see where your, where your head and where your heart is. You need, to, you need to deal with these skeletons or they will eventually deal with you. You need to get inside and actually check what is inside your closet. Well, let's look at this woman first. How did she check her closet? Well, she was nicknamed, like I said, the immoral woman, which again is just like, oh, the whole city knew her as that. Did you have a nickname in high school? Did you, have, uh, did you have something that you were known for and it probably wasn't your best act? Imagine just being labeled that, even in scripture. She's going into this religious leader's house and she was unclean, she was unworthy. She was most likely named this immoral woman because she was a prostitute. She had some sexual behavior that was inappropriate. But there's a couple things I want you to catch from this. She decided to check her closet. She realized she had a skeleton in there. She had something that she didn't really want people to know about her, but they knew about her. And it didn't stop her from, from going into this religious leader's house, this Pharisee's house, to be known as that. It didn't stop her. And the second thing is this. She's carrying this, this rare, expensive perfume and just to put in perspective, that was most likely bankrolled by her profession as a prostitute. She checked her closet. She, she dragged her skeleton, and she started dealing with it the only way she knew how. She brought the skeleton to the feet of Jesus. On the other hand, you have the saint. You have Simon. How is he dealing with the skeletons in his own closet? Well, to be honest, he doesn't think he has any. He, he feels as if he's righteous. I mean, he invited Jesus to his house, but didn't treat him like he was a good teacher or like he was a prophet or like he was the son of God. He didn't welcome him in his house like he should have. Instead, what, what Simon was doing was probably very similar to what we do a lot. We judge others. We say, look at them. I can't believe that he's done that. I can't believe she participates in that. Simon never really checked his closet. Instead, he was so interested what was in the immoral woman's closet. What I love uh, about this is, I, I want to go back to verse 39 and, and just check, check this, because 
I think it's really powerful, and I don't think we, we, we capture it as well as we should. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he, he said to himself, so again, we know just based on the next interaction, he's, he's saying this inside of his mind and his heart, okay? He's not speaking this out. This is in his head. If this man were a prophet, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then we get to verse 40. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. I, I literally just want to focus on that. Is that scary for anybody else? Like right now, Jesus knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. He, he knows what, what you've been thinking today. He knows what you've been thinking uh, towards your boss when you had that interaction with your boss today. He, he knows what you're thinking when you saw uh, this girl at the gas station and you, you saw her and, and now it's, you know, it's, it's hotter so they're not wearing as many clothes and she's wearing some tank top and you're just, he knows your thoughts. I know it's funny, but it's like, that's the truth. He knows your thoughts right now as you're listening to this sermon. I don't know where your head, where your heart's at. You could be like, is this, is this fool almost done? Like, where? he knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. And he answers Simon. And Simon, he just isn't worried about his own skeletons. He's only concerned about the woman's. You may... Listen, you may be really good at hiding the skeletons that you have. People may never see these. At least they're not seeing them right now because they're in your closet still. There are some things that you just have not dealt with. And you're really good at hiding it. You're really good at putting a face on. Like you walked into this building and, and it may appear that everything is so good. I can walk in here and act like everything is good too. But listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm having struggles too. We have to check it. We have to take an inventory of our heart. And the second thing, once we do that, the second thing is, is we have to start cleaning out our closet. We have to start cleaning out our closet. And I don't know about you. I absolutely hate cleaning out my closet. If I have people over, I just had a lot of people over this weekend, and I got our house all clean. Guess where I put all the stuff that I didn't want them to see? In my closet. I'm sure you're there. It's just not fun to do the work, to clean your closet out. I mean, it's good to check it, but now you gotta, you got to clean it. And this woman, this immoral woman, she... She knew how to clean out her closet. She went to the feet of Jesus. She brought everything to him. All of her life, all of her story, all of her resources and this perfume. And she's pouring it on his feet. She's weeping. She's giving her emotion. And she realized that she couldn't do it herself. And collective, the same is true for us today. The same is true for me. We can't do it ourselves. We can't clean out our own closet. We need Jesus. We need a Savior. Now, I don't know what it is for you that's causing you to drift away. I don't know what it is that's causing that divide between you and God. But I know there's a way for you to clean your closet out, and Scripture makes it very clear. It starts by confessing, asking for forgiveness of your sin. And the hardest part is to turn away from it, to repent. And walk as far away from that sin as possible to get away from that sin. I don't, what is it? 
What is it for you? Because I, I can imagine God's probably been placing something on your heart. What, even before you walked in this room tonight, there is something that is causing a stumbling block in your relationship with God, and I don't know what it is, but you do. It could be your language. I know it doesn't seem like much, but it could be a barrier. One, to the way that you uh, praise Jesus and worship, but the way that you talk and interact with others. It could be the way that you choose to uh, engage in whatever activity you do on the weekends, whether it's through uh, alcohol, whether it's through just getting high and, and just getting out of your own mind, the mind that God has created you to have, and you start filling it with other things. For some of you, it's a real problem, and nobody wants to talk about it, but it's pornography. It's real. And it has such a strong hold. Others of you, I wish we could go in further in this because it's a big heart of mine. But for some of you, it's, it's your physical relationship with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or just your significant other. And it's uncomfortable, especially when they're sitting next to you, especially when you just invited your boyfriend to come to Collective and this guy's about to talk about how we're crossing boundaries, how we're not doing things the way that God designed us to do it. And he's like, I never want to come back here again. Because it's hard to confront those things. But those are a separation that you have. I don't know what it is for you, but, but 1 John says it this way in, in chapter 1. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins, if we start cleaning out our closet, if we start confessing our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from all wickedness. But again, if we feel like we're more of the saint, we have our things together, we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. And collective, we have to, we have to do this next step. We have to do some heavy cleaning. And God does all the work, we just have to bring it to him. We have to check our closet, we have to get those skeletons out, bring it to his attention, and, and lay it down at his feet and say, Cleanse me, O Lord. Let me confess this sin to you. Let me repent and turn away from it. You, you heard, my, one of my uh, skeletons in the closet early on was my language. And it didn't stop after my mom caught me, just to be honest. Like, it got worse. Because then I'm like, well, now she knows I cuss. So then I got more comfortable cussing around her. I'd start throwing in a little, uh, those easy words that you can get away with. Uh, then I got a little bit more. And, and it was just kind of normalized at that point. Until I became a believer in Jesus Christ. And I started reading his word and, and, and being confronted with like the James passage, how, you know, praising God out of your mouth and, and cursing others with your mouth should not be, it shouldn't have the same words come out of the same mouth. I had friends who come up to me and they're like, hey man, we got to work on this. And I confessed, I asked for forgiveness and I repented from that. But I'm going to do it today, listen. But today, it's been a long time. Had a really bad interaction. Uh, today and, and in my head and in my heart for some reason even preparing for this message I said a cuss word today and I felt like I needed to confess that to you because I, I don't want to be a hypocrite up here I don't know why but I did I was mad I was upset and that has no bearing on a reason why I should have done it but I I'll tell you one thing I've asked for forgiveness I'm confessing and I want to turn away from that thing I don't want to go back to that lifestyle I don't want to talk like that anymore. My other, my other skeleton in the closet, listen, I'm going to be vulnerable with you. Because I've, I've brought my skeletons out. I've dealt with them. But I, it, it's hard for me to bring them back out once I feel like I left them at the feet of Jesus. 
but I just want you to know, like, I did struggle with some deviant sexual behavior in high school. And I've talked a little bit about it, but man, it had a hold on me, y'all. It had a hold on me. After I became a believer of Jesus, it still had a hold on me. Do you know why? I mean, after I would participate in that sin with my girlfriend, I would go home. I remember in my, in my room, I'd lay in my bed, and I'd, I'd shut my eyes, and I'd pray a prayer. You prayed this prayer before. God, I'm so sorry. Forgive me of that sin. I will never do that again. Just to find myself the next night in bed praying the same prayer over and over again. What changed? Well, what changed was I decided that I needed to bring other people in. I need to bring other people in the conversation. Even though it's uncomfortable, even though it's not fun, I invited people in the conversation. I, I confessed. I asked for forgiveness. And I said, I want to repent of this sin. I want to turn away from that lifestyle. I want to honor God in my relationships. I want to honor God with my sexual behavior. That God created that for marriage in the context of marriage. And James 5, 16 says it this way. This helps me a lot. Confess your sins to each other. Ugh. Mm, that's not fun. Pray for each other. You don't know what I've done. You want me to confess my sin to my neighbor next to me? Maybe. Maybe it's somebody else. But I'm telling you, if we want to get rid of these skeletons in our closet, we need to start doing some work with, with Jesus and with the, the believers around us. So that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces, listen, wonderful results. The sinner in the story she laid it all out. She dragged her skeleton to the feet of Jesus. She let everybody know she was there. Her reputation was there. She checked her closet. She started cleaning it out by offering it to Jesus. And the third thing she did was she simply just communed with God. And that's what we can do. When we kind of go through this process of checking and, and cleaning, we can, we can commune with God with a, a pure heart, a clean heart. Will we mess up again? Yes. It's when you start that process over, you check it, check your heart, take inventory, you clean it out, you confess, and you ask for forgiveness, and you repent of it, and then you commune with God. You sit at His feet. You worship him. You spend time with him. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but my prayer is that, that you spend time with Jesus every single day. Like one of my biggest fears of this ministry is this is all the time that you commune with God. This is the only time you, you read his scripture. This is the only time you worship. This is the only time you pray. This is the only time you interact with Jesus or on Sunday at your church, whatever your church home is. But that's not how we were designed. We were designed to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. Psalm 63.1 says it this way. Oh God, oh God, you are, you're my God. And I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. What does it look like to have your soul thirst for Jesus? That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. 
Like nothing can fulfill that except for Jesus. And this ministry, as you know, we're going to go on a break for the summer. You're not going to have Tuesday nights. That's why it's so important that you take this lesson with you throughout this summer until we come back. But when we come back, that doesn't mean you just wait till Tuesday to recharge. It has to be a lifestyle. It has to be a response to what God is doing in your life. You got to check your closet. You got to clean your closet. And then you get to just commune with him. And the truth is this. And the sooner we, we realize this, the better off we are. There is no righteous person in this room. I'm not. I'm seeking after Jesus, but I fail every single day. We are all sinners. And but I... I could have left my skeleton in the closet. I could have left it in the car. Some of you guys did, and some of you will. But I'm inviting you in this next moment, let's bring it forward. Bring it to his feet. Clean out your closet tonight. Do business with God tonight. He wants to take this skeleton he wants to take it from you. He says, I've paid for this. I paid for this. Stop dragging it around. Stop going in the, the morning to get ready and looking in your closet and still staring it in the eyes. Like that's, that's not, you don't need to do that anymore. There is a freedom from this. Jesus has paid the price. But yet we still just carry it with us. Or leave it there and we'll come back later and get it. You can be released from that tonight. That's what these moments of response is all about. For some of you, you've, you've never experienced what a relationship with Jesus looks like. You've never said yes to him. You've never just said, Lord, my life is yours. Everything that I think, everything that I am, all my profession, my relationships, it's yours. I need a savior to take away this sin. I need to get in that water. I need to be cleansed. I need to be washed. And that is the greatest decision you could possibly make going into this summer. Going back home, going back to your job, going back to your classroom, taking your finals. When you have Jesus with you. So I'm inviting you, man, in this, in this moment, if that's you, if you're feeling a tug in your heart, Make that decision tonight. It is the greatest decision you could possibly make, and I would love to help you take that. Or one of our leadership, they have tags on their, around their, their, their necks. That maybe you could just go up to them and say, what does it look like to have Jesus as my Lord and Savior? What does it look like to get in that water tonight? That's the best decision you could possibly make. But finally, if you want to commune with God, we're going to give an opportunity for, for us believers in Jesus. We do this every single week, but we wanted to give you an extended amount of time to do it, just to commune with Him through communion. And so we're going to play a couple songs, and at any time, maybe you want to do business with God first. You want to just, you want to start checking your, you want to take an inventory, you want to start cleaning it out, you want to start confessing some things, do that. 
then you can grab communion up here or, or back out, out in the, the lobby and then just spread out if you need to or bring your communion forward and just commune with him. Give him thanks that he has paid the price for you. Listen, the worst thing about when I was sinning over and over and over again with my sexual behavior, here's what I was doing. I was just continually nailing Jesus to the cross every time I knowingly sinned. I was like cheapening his grace. I was taking advantage of his mercy to a point where it broke me. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. He's paid the price for that. Why do I keep doing it? I felt freedom when I finally cleaned it out and I repented of that sin. I feel that freedom every time I commit a sin and I confess it and I ask for forgiveness and I turn away from it. But I'm not righteous. I still have to go through that process every single day. And as believers, we're going to have to. So I, I invite you, collective, my heart is that you would experience that freedom in this moment. You would experience that freedom going into the summer. So would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Let's go into this time of worship, just giving him all that weight, letting him have your skeleton tonight. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you for a day that we get to mark because there is freedom in the name of Jesus. That no longer do we have to be defined by our skeleton, but we can be defined by your love and your grace and your mercy. God, I pray that during this next set of worship, we will just commune with you. We'll do business with you, but we'll spend time at your feet. And maybe there'll be tears. Let those tears be just renewed and the joy when we get up because we feel the weight that's lifted off of our shoulders. God, I'm praying that this moment of worship is, a, a, is just a testament of your glory and the work that you're doing in our hearts, in our lives. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond, collective.